Hello, and welcome to the Change Order Podcast by Hearth. I'm Sarah Krupps, Business Development Manager, and this is my co-host, Dago Garcia, Senior Content Marketing Manager. We named this podcast The Change Order because it's a critical time in the home improvement industry, and it's time we take a look at what we need to change in order to be more successful. We're going to be sitting down with contractors, business owners, and experts about the mistakes, victories, and advice they learned along the way to creating winning home improvement businesses. Our first guest is Steve Weil. If you're a Hearth member, you're probably familiar with Steve. He was the founder and owner of Able Roofing. After 20 years at the helm, the company grew to over $100 million in revenue a year. Now, Steve is a renowned sales trainer and consultant that transforms sales teams across the country. You can currently access four comprehensive training modules of Wake Up and Sell with Steve Weil through Hearth. To learn more about the training, check out the link in the description or email support at gethearth.com or talk to your customer success manager. In our interview with Steve, we talk about his start in the home improvement industry as a chimney sweep, how to protect your cash, and the no-brainer of using Hearth. Here's our interview with Steve. Steve, thank you so much for joining us today on the very first episode of The Change Order by Hearth. It's a, it's an honor to have you here. Um, you know, we can just get right into the questions. Um, you know, how did you get, how did you get your start in the home improvement business? Like, I mean, what's that, what's that, in, what's that spark that got you in? Okay. Well, um, I don't know if it was a spark. I think it was more, more of an accident. By the way, I'm the very first on the change order. That's, I, didn't, I didn't know I was yeah. like the maiden voyage here, right? You're our yeah. inaugural guest. Okay. Guest number one. Don't, <laughs> don't worry. We won't, we won't break any champagne bottles over you. I know we're christening the podcast, but okay. I, I want, I want to warn you. I won't do that. Okay. Cut a ribbon though. Right. Okay. So yeah, fully, uh, so how I got started was, um, so I was in college in my senior year and I took a job selling, uh, selling alarm systems, uh, burglar alarm systems, uh, for homes. And this was, this is quite, a, this is a few years ago quite a few years ago. Okay. And the, the only, they, they gave me a very little product knowledge training and they gave me no sales training, except they said one thing, Steve, talk about anything but the alarm system. <laughs> and I took that literally. Right. And I talked about nothing at all about the alarm system and did, did have conversations with people and I didn't sell one damn alarm. Okay. <laughs> it was terrible, but I was in the parking lot of this location of this alarm, little alarm system company. I'm sure they went out of business six months later. And I met this guy and he gets out of this van and he has a black kind of a, a tuxedo and a top hat. And he was a chimney sweep. And I got in a conversation with him and he said, he told me he's making all kinds of money. And I'm thinking, I'm not making all kinds of money. I want to make all kinds of money. So that night I called my buddy Ralph from high school. I said, Ralph, you want to make all kinds of money? And Ralph wanted to make all kinds of money. So, so we decided that night on that telephone call, we're going to become chimney sweeps, okay? Because this guy was a chimney sweep. And um, so what we did is, well, what's the first thing that you have to do uh, when you open up a chimney sweep company? You have to learn to do what? The uh, title chimney. song from, oh, yes, yeah. chimney sweeping or the title the title song from Mary Poppins, possibly. You have to learn the song. You don't have to learn the song. So, so Dago, what, what you have to learn to what? Uh, chimney sweep, I think. Sweep, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But but we didn't learn how to chimney sweep. We learned how to go get customers. 
So what we did is we started calling homeowners because back then you could actually call people. We got this book that had all the addresses and we call people and the name of the company was called A Sweep in the City. And we would say, hi, it's time for your annual inspection. We said, we're from Sweep in the City. And all they heard was city, annual inspection. They said, sure, come on out. Well, nobody back then had ever had their chimneys cleaned. And we didn't know what a clean or dirty. So they were all dirty. So we shine and say, you, your chimney's dirty. You need to clean. They go, oh, how much? Game of prices said, fine. So we booked up. We went two weeks later and we booked like a solid week of chimney cleaning, like $5,000 worth of chimney cleaning. And, and the weekend before, we figured now we better learn how to clean chimneys, right? So we got this brochure from the local heating and cooling supply store. And this brochure showed how to clean a chimney. And, and they wanted $5,000 for the system. We didn't have $5,000. So we bought a Sears shop back. And we brought some, bought some rods and these brushes from the, uh, from the local supply store. And we did my mom's fireplace. And it was great because she'd never used it. So it was really easy to clean. And then we did his mother's fireplace and chimney. And the brush got stuck. And we spent all day trying to get it out. It was just a nightmare. So we became professional chimney sweeps. And then that year, guys, this was like back in 1981. I made $55,000. And that's the lowest amount of money that I'd ever made in my life past 1981 because I was now in the home improvement business. Well, business took off eight years later. I am, I'm actually cleaning chimneys and I got into a little car accident and I hit this guy, another guy from high school. And he said, and he was in the heating and cooling business. He worked for a company. He said to me, Steve, there's all kinds of money in the heating and cooling business. And that's all I needed to hear. All kinds of money, right? So we went into the heating and cooling business. The only problem was his wife said he's going to leave him if in fact, if in fact he goes out on his own because he had a steady job. He, and then like, so right before the yellow pages, like with the deadline, et cetera, because we'd already committed to the yellow pages, et cetera. And he says, Steve, I can't do it. Sorry. And I'm thinking, what? I just committed to the yellow pages and I bought a couple trucks and all this kind of stuff. And they haven't really finished designing the ad yet. So I'm thinking, well, I, I can't go into the heating cooling business. I don't know anything about it, but I had trucks. I had two trucks and I had ladders. I'm thinking, you know what? I'll go into the roofing business. And how hard can roofing be, right? <laughs> so, so the ad said heating and cooling. So I just took the same ad and said the yellow pages. Just change that to roofing. <laughs> so, so they changed it to roofing. The ad comes out, full page ad. People started calling. And I figured now I better have to learn how to roof. So I just hired some guys who could roof. And you know what? It just kind of took off from there. That's how I got into the roofing business. And it, that was the spark. And it grew and grew and grew and grew to the point where, you know, went over $100 million. And I eventually sold the company. And now it's like I teach people how to sell because selling is like, it's where it's at, man. That's because, you know what? It wasn't about roofing and it wasn't about chimney sweeping. It was about selling, really marketing and selling, right? And that's what made the difference. So now it's, now it's, I teach people how to sell because, because yeah, you got to know, you got to know your stuff, but you know what? That's not the most important thing. And I, and you know, I'm working with a company now and, you know, say, well, we're going to have to train our people on all our products. And they go, you know what? Yeah. They have to be competent in it, but that's 10% of it. 90% of it is, is the sales piece. You have to understand the product, but that's not the big, that's not the big thing. That's not what moves. That's not that what makes you successful. It makes it move. You got to know how to do it. You got to have people to know to it. But when you're in that home, it's all about selling. Okay. You can ask me another question now. I know I just got off on a tangent there, right? No, that's beautiful. I'm a little passionate about the selling stuff, guys. You probably know, right? 
Well, I mean, it sounds like the selling piece has been important in every single part of that story, right? At the alarm company, selling was important. At the chimney soup company, selling was vital. And then obviously roofing company, selling is such an important piece of it. Sarah, I made so many mistakes along the way. I mean, when I started <clears throat> started out with the, with the with the alarm company, they gave me no training and I just wasted their leads, wasted their time, wasted my time because I, I didn't know what I was doing, okay? Then when I started in the chimney business, the chimney sweep business, I had to learn. So I wasted a lot of leads, but I started learning and then got into the roofing business and I learned more and I learned more. And then I actually hired a professional sales trainer actually in 1998 and that changed everything. I mean, that cha- we did 10 times the volume after hiring this professional sales trainer. And now what he taught me is what I teach other people. And, and that was the difference, but yeah, all the, all those things, you'll, you might see some success without the sales training, but get the, get the professional sales training. And it's a no brainer as far as how you're going to come up to another level because people only see what they see. Right. Totally. And as you said, a lot of the learning happens in this industry from making mistakes and learning from them. Uh, you know, obviously you're working with contractors every single day. What's one big mistake that you see contractors make, you know, when they are just starting in their business? So uh, let me leave sales alone for a second. Okay. And then let me, I'll, I'll change gears. So now let's talk about uh, startup companies, entrepreneurs. Um, you know, let me, let me get into the business piece of it. And I'm going to leave the sales alone. I think I made a point about the whole sales piece of it, right? But let me just make make some notes on the business. You got to know your costs, and I see that all the time. Um, that they just don't know the, the contractors. They don't know their costs. When I say they don't know their costs, um, they don't even know what to charge because they haven't re-engineered it backwards to know what they actually have to charge, right? And, they, and sometimes they think, well, that's what the market will bear. Well, sometimes the market will bear much more, and sometimes the market may not bear as much. So you have to absolutely, uh, you have to understand your your costs, um, your product costs, your labor costs, your overhead costs, and you and you have to understand what your break even is. Meaning, you at least have to understand each month, sometimes each week, how much business do I have to do just to break even, just to pay all my bills? Because after you pay all your bills. Everything after that is what we call incremental business. And that's where you start making money. And you can make gobs of money if you can just get to that break-even point and know what that break-even point is. Everything after that, that's that gross profit becomes net profit. And you have to remember that most, most contractors or startups, they don't really look at it that way. Also, closing ratios, that's the sales piece. Leads are expensive. You really got to keep an eye on your closing ratios and understand why you're not closing certain deals. Now, that's part of the sales training piece. Um, here, I'll give you some other simple ones. Signing the checks. Contractors, small contractors, sign your own checks for paying bills. Now, I know a lot of it will be online, but it's so easy for people to embezzle money. Meaning if you could hire some assistant or admin or 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 bookkeeper person, you, you need to be the one who's actually signing the checks. Now, I know, I know some of that's online some, and some of it could be credit card, et cetera, but you really got to keep an eye on your money. And I see that all the time where they bring somebody in and they trust them because they don't want to mess with that stuff and they get ripped off. I've seen it many, many times. And then maybe the last thing, accounts receivables, really get assertive on collecting your money and get deposits. 
Okay. Sometimes I hear, oh, well, you know, we collect when the job is done. And they think that's a big advantage and a big selling point. No, it's not a selling point. It's not a big advantage. If you want cash flow, get deposits. That's a big thing. So, and also cash receivables, don't let your money lay out there. And I see a lot of companies in trouble that get upside down because they don't have cash flow. You got to get, you got to have cash flow. So you got to be very assertive about getting your money. Yeah, it's a, it's a little hard to pay your people and pay yourself if you're if you've got just a bunch of invoices sitting out unpaid. Um, your, and I your, know people your, can your employees and your subcontractors, okay? They're not going to take they're not going to put you on their accounts receivable, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I mean even just the work and time it takes to go out and go get those accounts like those accounts back. I mean, is you could be selling Right. Like that. I mean, at the end of the day, you could be in someone's home. You could be, you know, you could be doing a million things. You'd be with your family. Imagine that. (laughs) So stay ahead of your money. Don't get behind. Stay ahead of it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Be proactive, not reactive. That's great advice. Um, So I got another question for you. Um, And this was a little bit to the side here. It's kind of like a little skirt, but you know, what's your, what's your favorite project you ever worked on? I mean, I think everyone has that one that is like, oh man, I, I'm, it's the best I've ever done. No one's going to touch this. I've, t- I've talked to people who are like, oh, I changed the game. I changed the game for this whole city, you know? And I'm like, okay, I don't know if you did or not, but I'm, I'm sure I'm happy you're proud about it, uh, of what you, about what you did. But what about you? I mean, what's your favorite one? What, which one sticks out? You're like, man, that was it. So- Trying to think of uh, an actual project that I that I would say like wow that was the coolest project ever ever and I was in the roofing business and we had some we had some really difficult and and really cool roofs but the project that comes to mind this was like the best of the best but it wasn't the actual project it wasn't the construction piece it was the sales piece I'll just give you a little background on it so this is when I this is when I still had my company but I sold it. But I was I was kind of still an employee there doing training, but I was also a Sandler sales trainer training other companies at the same time, obviously not training, training other roofing companies because that would have been a conflict of interest and I had a non-compete agreement. So they brought me in as a mercenary on a two and a half million dollar condominium deal. And and, you know, it's like they just said, Steve, this thing is going south. Will you come in and help us close this? Well, here's what happened. The, uh, the, the vice president of sales and the vice president of operations met with this condo board and all they did is answer the questions. They had an engineer there answer the questions. And selling is not answering questions, okay? Your, your value as a salesperson is not the information that you give, it's the information that you get. And all they were doing was giving information, giving information. Well, they were told, they were told after that meeting that they weren't getting the job meaning they were favoring another company, another company was going to get the job. Well, the CEO of the company heard about this and said, we can't let this job go. So he invited the board members, and there were three that showed up to the office of my company, and we had a conversation with them, and it was, check this out. The one board member said, well, this was at the end after they met with us at our location. They were nice enough to come over, even though they were kind of thinking we weren't going to do business with you. We had a really nice office that impressed them. And then we had a conversation with them at the end to say, hey, maybe you give us some takeaways. And she said, you know, I really have a good feeling about you guys. The reason I voted against you guys is because you did my daughter's roof 17 years ago. And we found a couple handfuls of nails in the yard. 
And that's why I voted against you guys on a two and a half million dollar deal. And one lady had said, one of the other board members said, you know what? The reason, you know what, I, I, you guys really, I'm happy we spent the time today because you guys really, really understand us and what we're looking for. What we did is ask them questions and, and they answered them, right? And, uh, and then the board president had said something about, said something about, hey, do you think we need to hire an engineer to inspect the work, you know, after the roofers are done? And my sales manager was ready to answer that question. And it was like, don't you answer that question. And I stabbed them in the leg. Like, I didn't say anything. I just stabbed them in the leg. And then I said to the board president, I said, so I don't know why, you know, that sounds like that's a concern for you. He goes, yeah, it's going to cost us $150,000 to bring in an engineer. And then I said, well, now that I answer that question, it depends on who you hire. So anyways, we were invited to the board meeting. Our competitor who was ready to sign contracts, he comes out and sees us walking in. And to make a long story short, we walked out with the deal at, at a board meeting on a Saturday morning. And the big crux was this thing called disarming honesty. And the disarming honesty that was introduced into that, that board meeting was, I said, so we saw our competitor walking out. Let me tell you a couple of things about our competitor. And Sarah, what do you think they were ready? To, what do you think that board was expecting me to say? When I, when I told them, let me tell you a couple of things about our competitor now that we know who our competitor is. Oh, negative. Uh, they kick negative. dogs. I saw them kick a dog in the street last week. <laughs> I, I don't want to hang out with them anymore. <laughs> Fully. And, They're as negative as it gets. They do terrible roofs. <laughs> right. So, so we teach salespeople to do the opposite of what the buyer expects. And I said, I know, I know him. And you know what? He's a stand-up guy. Okay. And his intentions are very, very good. And, and I know him well because he used to work for me. And, and, but then the conversation somewhere shifted and I told him that, you know what, his intentions will be good and it will look good when he's done, that thing will look good. If we do your roof, it'll look good, but you know what, it won't be perfect. And we told him that our roof won't be perfect because it's done by human beings, not by machinery. And where you, what you have to worry about is not right after the job's done, because it's going to look good for the ground, okay? You got to worry about four or five, six years down the, down the road. That's when it starts leaking. And then the conversation shifted to our competitor who had been in business for two years because he bought another company and he has a lot of debt. We've been in business for 30 years. And all of a sudden, now they're talking about longevity and warranties, et cetera. Boom, the whole conversation changed. We walked out with the deal. Now, this is how it kind of went down too. Then we did this old fashioned close called the porch light close. So back in the day, home improvement guys, the tin men, right? The aluminum siding guys, they would do the porch light and the porch light closes. The customer would say, well, you know what? We need to think about it. And then the, then the, the sales guy would say, you know what? There is a lot to talk about. You guys think about it. You know what? I'm going to go out on the porch and have a cigarette. And when you're ready for me to come in, you just flick the lights on the porch. That's old school right there, right? I mean, that's some old school stuff there. <laughs> okay, well, I never really smoked cigarettes, so I never got to do that. The modern version of it is what we did at this meeting, and, and we were two-thirds through the presentation, and, and we said to him, hey, let me ask you a question. You can't you have enough information to make a decision now? And everyone looked around. The board president said, I think I do. A couple said, yeah, I think I do. And then it said, guys, let's go outside. Let's let these guys talk. Let's let these guys talk, and, and we leave all your stuff on the table. And maybe we can show these guys a few samples and things. You guys come out when you're ready to talk to us, okay? Come on, guys. Didn't even ask for permission. I said, come on, guys. It just walked out, right? And about 20 minutes later, guess what? They walked out and said, hey, you know what? We want you guys to do the work. Now, that was the porch light close, right? So anyways, it was just like 
it was it was it was it was kind of a it was a legendary moment within the company. It was kind of my exit, and it was a mercenary move, and it was just so much fun. So crazy, right? Such a sales geek. <laughs> I I love the porch light clothes. <laughs> I love that terminology. That's fantastic. And I guess what you guys did was like a hard takeaway, which maybe is the modern porch light clothes to some extent. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you leave all that stuff there. In fact. When somebody says I need to think about it, the dialogue should change and say, you know what? There is a lot to talk about. How about we talk about this now? I mean, there's so many different ways, things that you can do because what's the number one stall or objection? Number one is, hey, we need to think about it. And you know what? That's not every salesperson. And it's so crazy. So, so, so if you're getting a lot of, hey, I need to think about it, which is, which, you know, if you've been in sales for 30 minutes, You've already heard that one, right? And if you don't have a, if you don't have some kind of rebuttal to that, it'll end up like this. Well, okay, well, here's my car. And guess what? You're going to be the only one that's thinking about it at that point, right? So, so you got to be prepared for these things. And that's what you have to practice on. You have to have some really good rebuttals to that. And that's just, I would tell you that sales 101, but that shuts down most salespeople. And if you don't have, I don't need at least a half a dozen things that you can do from that point on. Okay. Then, then it's over. And you know who ends the sales call? Sales, sales, salesperson. The, the, the buyer doesn't kick us out. They don't end it. We end it. So you want to close, you want to, you want to make your sales close. You want your close rate. This is the advice I can give them on closing. Okay. You want to increase your close rate by 10% right now. Here it is guys. Don't leave. smoke cigarettes on the porch until they say yes (laughs) when i say that is a little tongue-in-cheek but when i say that salespeople run out of stuff they got nowhere to go so they go well here's my cart so can you maybe walk it back a little bit maybe help me understand some of the things that you're thinking about so are you thinking about this you're thinking about this sounds to me that maybe you're kind of like this is on your mind how about this do you need to think about whether or not you're going to actually do the project or whether or not maybe whether or not you're going to do it with me I mean, there's, you know, I can, I can give you a dozen different ones, but you have to have, you got to walk it back a little bit and have these conversations because maybe they just don't trust you at this point and you got to build a little bit more trust, a little more bonding rapport, right? But people totally. are programmed to say, let me think about it. We do the same no. thing, right? Yeah, that makes so much sense. No, thank you for sharing. That's a great story on, well, project, but more like project experience, which is still a huge part of the project. Um, we have a, one last question for you, and it's how does technology help your business run smoothly? Um, and then now that you're not necessarily in the home improvement space, you're probably not working with Hearth as much offering it to consumers, but are there examples of how you've seen contractors that you work with and sales coach on utilize Hearth and, you know, financing technology in the field? Absolutely. I mean, you know, the Hearth is... I mean, it's, it's an aggregator. It's an aggregator of lending companies on, on your phone. I mean, come on. I mean, how simple is this? And, you know, back in the day when we, back in the day when we financed somebody on our roof or windows or any kind of a, a home improvement project, the banks used to pay us. Isn't that crazy? We used to get one or 2% back from the bank as a, as a finder's fee. Now, you got to pay the bank. I mean, isn't that crazy? But not with Hearth. So with Hearth, there's no fees. That's great. Now, is Hearth for everybody in every situation? 
No. Okay. So it, it's that it's not the magic bullet. It's a magic bullet. So even if you have a even if you've got one of these uh, large finance companies uh, in your corner, keep them. But there's going to be situations where you won't have to pay a bunch of fees and it's easy to use hearth, right? So it's, it's, and it's cheap. I mean, you know, I don't know what a thousand bucks a year or something like that. It's like, you know, one deal, boom. So, so my advice is on this is, yeah, it's, it's, it's so easy to use in the home. And why would I rely on one company to, for financing? Because that one company, sometimes they, 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 they turn the faucet on. And they and then they slow it down and up. You know the bandwidth goes up and down depending on what they need at the moment, right? Well, with Hearth, you're going to have what? You could have ten different companies actually, you know, uh, banging on the app and say, "Yeah, we'll take we'll take that, we'll take that," and you get a lot of different offers. So I don't know why somebody wouldn't have that. And uh, so there's nothing better than uh, for financing than actually having this at your fingertips. And you know what? It may not fit everybody. What you're going to find is a lot of people will say, yeah, that's simple. It's easy. And, and that finance buyer, many times that finance buyer, they're, not, they're hung up on the affordability, not the actual interest rate. Because when you start calculating it, that's a few points here and there. It doesn't really matter. It's, it's, okay, can I get it within my budget? So I think that's how technology, technology has helped tremendously as far as that goes. Other things of technology, I would say that, yeah, you guys know all the stuff, all the tools that you guys can use from, from Zoom to Hover to drones and all that. But, you know, one thing that I would caution is um, texting. Uh, we live in a digital texting, emailing type world, and people don't know how to, you give somebody a message, there's no tonality, there's no body language. They don't know how to take these things, and they could be taking it the wrong way. So you got to be very careful with the messaging and how you're putting those messages out there. So that would be the caution on technology. But when it comes to, like I said, art, I don't know why you wouldn't want to have this thing. I think the biggest, I think the biggest uh, roadblock for contractors is, are they comfortable using it? So, you know, so you just got to be, com you got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. So you just have to, you just have to go out and try it and, and use it because it's like everything else, how do you get out of your comfort zone? You, you force yourself to do some things. So I would tell the contractors that aren't using this, try using it a few times. And after you do that, it gets, you know, it's no big deal. It starts getting easy and easy. It's just that breakthrough on the, on that, on the early stages. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like teaching yourself how to chimney sweep the weekend before you got to go do it. Yeah. <laughs> and then you go do it. We had nothing to lose, right? <laughs> so, totally. And everything to gain. And it's like, once it becomes part of your process, whether it's utilizing hearth or whether it's chimney sweeping, once it becomes part of your daily routine and it's incorporated in your process, it's not even, it's a no brainer. It's a no brainer. You know, you just don't, right. You just got to go out there and do it. Right. You got to just go out there and do it. And like I said, you got to, how do you grow? You get, you do things that are not necessarily comfortable and then they become more comfortable and you find something else that you're not so comfortable with. That's how you grow. That's Absolutely. Well, I know you got a hard stop in a minute, so I want to respect your time, Steve. Thank you so much for being with us. I, I, I this was a great first episode. I'm going to call it. I'm going to say it's great. Uh, thank you so much for spending time with us. Um, you know, I, I can't wait for for this to get out there and for people to give us uh, their thoughts because I'm, 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 I'm very, I'm just very happy we got to spend this time with you, Steve. Okay, guy. Hey, thanks for having me today. Okay. Oh, of course. Absolute thanks. pleasure, Steve. Thank you so much for sharing with us. See ya. Bye, Steve. Take it easy. Bye.